decoding learning differences with Kimberlyn Lavelle. And this episode is Breakthrough Challenges Using Neurofeedback with Diane Costo. Now, mom on a mission and a leading expert dedicated to making neurofeedback accessible to all, Diane Costo. For over 14 years, the profound impact of her work has brought hope and healing to families struggling with ADHD, impulsivity, anxiety, depression, and many other mental wellness challenges. You'll hear all of my many questions as I dig into this and try to understand how this can help so many families. I am excited to share this with you and I'm very curious if anyone has tried neurofeedback or if you decide to, please reach out. I wanna hear any stories you have. Without further ado, here is Diane Costo. Hello, Diane. Welcome to the podcast. We are so happy to have you on. I'm going to let you introduce yourself to the audience and give some background information on kind of how you got into all that you're doing now. Okay, Kimberlyn, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here to chat with you. Um, I'm Diane Costo. I'm a mom on a mission. I'm the founder and CEO of Symmetry Neuropathway Training. And let's see, the story of how I got into this was all about my kiddo, my youngest. He was impulsive off the charts, got kicked out of every different school environment that I sought out for him, including homeschool a couple times. <laughs> oh, jeez. Um, but through our struggles with him from when he was five years old on to about 13, that's when I found neurofeedback and it really turned things around for us and basically saved his life. So that is how I got into the field of neurofeedback. Wow. Yeah, that is always the most powerful driving force, I think, is our kids and what we'll, what we will do for them. Right. Okay, every so parenting us. book, every tool, yeah. every, you know, chart, everything that you can try along the way. Yeah. So, so tell us a little bit about the neurofeedback, what it, what exactly it is, how long it takes to be effective. Okay. So neurofeedback, I like to think of as um, technology-driven learning for the brain. A lot of people have heard of biofeedback. I mean, we have all these devices now where we're measuring our breathing and our steps and our heart rate and our sleep. It's similar to that, where you're measuring something in the body. And in this case, we're measuring brainwave activity. And then we're giving the body information on what it's doing so we can learn to change that. So we're using the technology to reward the brain when it's producing a healthy pattern. And, and that just looks like you'll be kicked back watching something streaming on Netflix, YouTube, Hulu, anything online that you can stream a show on or music on, you can use as feedback through our system because our software will put an overlay over top of it and it'll play a little brighter or louder when your brain meets a healthy pattern and it goes dimmer and quieter when the brain is not producing a healthy pattern. So you don't have to try and, you know, you just allow the brain and the software to keep communicating. And then it's learning. It's just like when you learn anything, when you learn to ride a bike or write with a pencil, you practice, 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 and then you're doing it without thinking about it because there's a new neural pathway in the brain. So that's the goal of it is to create those new neural pathways in the brain so that learning sticks and it's long-term change. That sounds lovely. Um... Explain what dysregulation in the nervous system of the body and brain is and how it manifests in a person's life. Right. So when our brain and our body and our nervous system is dysregulated, 
people's lives are harder than they need to be. Uh, so my son, it showed up as impulsivity. He had no pause before reacting. Some people, it's hyperactivity. It's lack of focus. It's trouble sleeping. It's depression. It's anxiety. So by measuring that and being able to help the brain and the body better regulate, some of those things can fall by the wayside. People can focus better, learn differently, remember things, sleep better, you know, all of that. So that is brain and body dysregulation is just when we're disrupted in some way. And that happens. A lot of people wonder, well, how did my brain get dysregulated? And it could have been uh, genetic, but also there are toxins in our environment. If you fall off a bike or bump your head, that can change the brain waves in your in your brain. Certainly we know, like Bessel van der Kolk talks about, the body keeps a score. So any kind of traumas, and, and it's your perceived trauma. It doesn't have to be the trauma that somebody else perceives it to be a trauma. All of those things can disrupt our nervous system and our body and our brain. Right. Yeah. Um, so is this for, so I'm like thinking like the most common one I'm picturing is like parents of kids with ADHD are thinking, is this going to actually help my kid? Is Or is it just like, no, they're ADHD. They're going to be ADHD for life. Is, uh, well, who, who is this for, I guess, is the question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all of us have a brain, right? And, and all of us can learn. So we see people from that genre, you know, the ADHD and the impulsivity like my son had, but we see learning disabilities, you know, dyslexia, things like that. That can be brain related as well when the networks aren't functioning well. All the way to, we see people in their 90s that are elderly that just want to improve their memory. And there are peak performers, professional athletes using neurofeedback. So it doesn't just have to have that stigma of something being wrong with you. Although the sad part is usually the desperate parents and the moms on the mission are the ones that find us because it's not necessarily mainstream like it needs to be, you know? Right. So, but we see, I, I have to say also a couple years before the pandemic, we were seeing more and more patterns of anxiety in the actual brain mappings that we do where we measure all of the brainwave activity, more and more patterns of anxiety even before the pandemic. So you can imagine now, almost everyone, we see some level of anxiety or hypervigilance. That affects your cognition and your ability to learn. Right. So you work with all ages. Yes. Well, I'm assuming you have a minimum. Well, yeah, you should. Probably <laughs> around five. It depends. You really need, the child needs to be able to sit there and not pull the sensors off their head. Okay. Right? So generally four or five, we'll see some young ones that are really struggling beyond what they should be at that age, all the way yeah. up to the elderly. Yes. Okay. All right. Um, and then, so it, it, it sounded before like you're talking about like Netflix, Hulu, like that that's happening at home or is it happening like in an office? So I used to have uh, offices all over the East Coast and one in Utah, but I've been gradually closing those uh, and we have remote systems. We can send the system into the home. So yes, they can just uh, do it from the comfort of their home, not having to go into the office and park and fight traffic and all of that. So it's more convenient and it's at a lower cost point now that we're able to do it at home. We send the equipment to you and we zoom in and we coach and support you throughout the whole process. And I have a whole case management team that's always watching the sessions in the background uh, and the software is designed to be very user-friendly to be able to be used at home. There's like four steps and then you're actually doing neurofeedback. Wow. Yeah. 
Sounds wonderful. It's a game changer. Yeah. From doing from the in-office. I know there's some people that still do prefer in-office. So we have customers because I also train people to provide neurofeedback. So we have um, residential facilities, schools, therapeutic programs, and providers across the country as well. If you really need an office, we usually can find someone that will assist and have you come in there. Okay. So I'm picturing, I'm trying to picture it, I guess. It's like, okay, the stuff gets sent and you're putting sensors and it's not interrupted by hair. Right. <laughs> yeah. We could still pick up the electrical signals through. So like when you first get the mapping done, the initial QEG mapping, it's called, or we refer to it as a brain map. There's a snug cat. I should have had them, my little props here for our conversation, <laughs> but I don't want to waste your time, but it looks like a swim cap with some okay. sensors in it. And we'll squeeze a little gel on there. It's saline solution gel because we just, that's all you need to, to get through the skin there to pick up that electrical activity, which is the way the brain communicates the chemical yeah. reaction. And so we just squeeze a little gel on there and someone just sits quietly with their eyes closed for about 10 minutes or less. And then the same with eyes open. And that gives us our initial evaluation and report along with some uh, intake assessments or self-reporting. But when they're actually doing the sessions at home, it may just be one sensor here in the center or two sensors somewhere on the scalp, depending on what the protocol is. And okay. those are held onto your, it's just a small, it's like the tip of a pencil, like a pencil eraser sized little sensor that you just put on there with a paste. Again, it's just uh, to get that connectivity. It's more like uh, Elmer's kindergarten glue paste. It reminds me of, it's just a little, little bit waxier and it just holds that sensor on there and a couple ear clips and and that's constantly measuring the brainwave activity. Nothing goes into the brain. This form of neurofeedback that we use is totally non-invasive. And people do need to be aware that there are other types of neurofeedback out there where they are using a low-level current or a stim, a little bit of a stimulation, magnetic or low-level current. So um, just be aware of that if you're searching for the option. I, I still hear they all get good results. So, but I'm, I'm prejudiced to the one that I've used that saved my kiddo's life. And I feel pretty comfortable with it because it is not putting any, any current in someone. <laughs> right. Yeah. It feels, it feels safer, at least like, especially like in that parent role of like wanting to protect your kid. Like, I don't know about that. Well, at least start with this. Yeah. And, yeah. It's very effective then. Right. There were times, it was funny when my son was mouthing off a little bit and he found himself in this therapeutic school for troubled teens. And when I first brought the technology there, you know, he was a little bit like, this isn't going to do anything, you know, and I wished I could have like reversed current and zapped them a little bit, <laughs> but I couldn't, you know, and, and anyways, when they do that, it's still at a safe level. It's not like electroshock therapy. It is still very micro level, maybe like what goes through your phone, um, but you do need to be more in a medical uh, type or a licensed environment. Whereas, you know, I was a mom on a mission and able to really make the difference in my son's life by not having to be medically licensed. Yeah. Yeah. With this. Yeah. That's awesome. So, so this is an app or that, that, and program that you developed or that you are, that you just joined the team. So I had used a system called brain core therapy when I first trained and I first learned about it. And I used similar developers. I didn't invent anything, but they just white labeled it for my product and we kept it very simplified and user friendly. So I, and it's totally based on the uh, origins of the, the science and what 
you know, how neurofeedback was found back in the 60s by Barry Sturman and his studies. So yeah, no, no inventing of ever, anything, just really making it user-friendly and more accessible for people. So is and that, putting my cool logo on it. Yeah. <laughs> so is that what you feel like sets, sets what you're doing apart is that it's very user-friendly? Yes, that and our support. Uh, there's nothing like our support team in the neurofeedback world. It's historically been very cumbersome and complicated to figure out how to provide neurofeedback, to where to find the training, what equipment to buy. Um, there was room for error because a lot of the equipment was designed by engineers and it started in the research lab. So it was a little clunky and uh, intimidating. So I, I do run into, I go to conferences, we were just at a, a counseling conference and you know there are some of them that bought the equipment but it's sitting in the closet because they're afraid to use it we don't want to be that way we want to make sure you're you know off the ground running and using it on a regular basis so so then my question is like okay well if I want this for myself my husband my family whatever um what is the cost for this mm -hmm. We have the lowest price point right now is our six-week unlimited use, and we usually help coach you to build up to maybe even doing sessions daily or twice a day. Some people do. So that's kind of the most bang for your buck, and that's under $3,000 for the full term. And we definitely want people to get in at least 40 sessions. I mean, the science shows that after 20, there's change in the gray and white matter of the brain, but I find that our lifestyles, our stress levels, our diets, all of that, it's really good. I feel more confident that when somebody gets a minimum of 40 in because they're going to walk away with long-term positive change. So that's right. the goal. Mm -hmm. But that that price point brings it down to a much more reasonable level than, you know, when you're going in office, people are charging 150 to 250 per session. Right. So it really makes it more accessible. And, and we hope to continue that direction as we develop more technology. So it's, and that, that you started, you sort of hinted at the question that I was going to ask, which I still would like a little more feedback on is like, what, how, how long-term are the results? Like is six weeks like enough and you're done and you're rewired and your problems are solved or? <laughs> it really depends on your goals. So there's very clear cut situations like my son, you know, he was not functioning in normal environments. He would be locked up or dead if it wasn't for this because he had no pause before reacting. The 40 sessions was able to correct that area in his brain and he developed that pause before reacting. Was he the perfect kid after that? Not yet. <laughs> we still went through teenage years and lots of fights, but the difference was I knew his decisions were now his. He wasn't just reacting to his environment. And, and so he made different choices along the way. So that's a case where, yeah, 40 sessions, he never had another. And he's one of the most disciplined people I know now. He's an Army Green Beret, <laughs> Special Forces. Wow. So it's like, whoa. And then we have people that just, um, you know, maybe they didn't reach their goal in that time period and they want to continue. There, there are peak performers and uh, Olympic athletes that use neurofeedback on a regular basis. So you have to look at your goals, um, number one. And then medications, multiple medications can slow progress. So sometimes mm -hmm. people that are on multiple medications might need a longer term for their brain to actually be able to learn new, new patterns. Yeah. So we try to give you, when you have a conversation with us, we try to give you a realistic expectation. If you're dealing with complex or traumatic brain injury, I mean, there, there are people that are going to need more like 80 to 100 sessions. Uh, but when they do have that change, it doesn't just go away. 
you know, think about when you learned how to ride a bike. You might not get on that bike for 20 years, but when you get back on it, you still kind of have the gist of it because that right. pathway is in there. Right. That's the same process. Yeah. I, I just think about like how that compares to like when I'm thinking about like learning disabilities and, you know, the, you, you teach something to a kid, you're tutoring them, you're helping them, you're teaching them and they forget it so quickly. But I know, and that's always been one of my frustrations as an educator is I know that the struggle they're having is based in their wiring. Yeah. So I'm trying to deal with something when I know that if we could change the wiring, it would be more long-term and, and they could access everything easier. Right. You hit the nail on the head. That is actually, oh, literally, I didn't mean to say that, <laughs> but no, you have it exactly correct. Like that was the problem, like with my son and we didn't even know, and I didn't have the brain mapping back then, but imagine if we had that brain mapping now in the schools, in the early on when the kids start to struggle and then we're able to better regulate that brain and they're able to process things at a different level and learn it now. Um, that happens. And then with therapists and counseling and everything that we're, when you hit the wall, like you know that the person knows what they learned but getting them to apply it, they, they have a, they have a disconnect. Right. And so same with educating and your kids, like, you know, that they know these things, but they can't apply it until you rewire and regulate the brain better. So then yeah. I guess that's part, that's, that then leads me to wonder like about the, because there's times where they don't know it. Like I think about some of my students who have had ADHD and dyslexia with poor working memory. So they're very inattentive. They can't focus on the lesson. Once they've focused for half of a second, they've heard something, but now it's gone because they've got it's such gone. short working memory and they never actually can learn the material. Yeah. And that is another scenario, right? So that is a scenario that you can, that would, that, would be an appropriate scenario for your system. Yeah, it would be. And when we do the QEG mapping, we can see those different processing areas, the networks that are most responsible for working memory versus sequential memory versus attention, which is different than the memory issues. You know, when right. we get so many kids diagnosed with the ADHD and sometimes it is something in their memory network. You wouldn't think so because they're young. Why would they have a memory issue, right? Or a visual processing versus a verbal processing challenge. When you can identify that in a QEG brain map, then you know better how to deal with them too. And the whole goal is to help better regulate those networks. So wherever that network is off, if we can better regulate it and help that brain communicate at a better level, then the chances are they're going to be able to learn at a different level as well. Yeah, that it sounds lovely and amazing. Um, because that's I think that scenario that I just described, like the ADHD plus the poor working memory plus other stuff usually. But like those the inattention and the poor working memory, like I feel like that's been the biggest struggle of like the kids have such a hard time. Like they want it but they are so quickly somewhere else. And what did you say? I forgot. And just so quickly. And I, I always 
I was hurt for those kids probably the most right now is like just seeing how much slower their progress is than another child who has dyslexia, but doesn't have, you know, has a stronger working memory and might not have attention difficulties. Although of course it can show up as attention difficulties because they don't understand what's happening. So then they get inattentive, but not with, in a different, like you're saying, it's, it's a different, it looks like it, but it's not really there. Um, Yeah. And having something measurable to identify these things is key in all of that, because it is going to help you as an educator with your approach. So we include that in our intake assessments. We even have a cognitive uh, online cognitive performance test. So we can see, like I mentioned, is it sequential memory or short-term memory or working memory or attention? Those are all different things and very different in how you approach it. Um, so that is really good information to just have. Yeah. So the whole mapping is done. Like you send the kit and we can do mapping on ourselves, on our kids, on whoever at home. Yes. Yeah. We'll send you a little video of what to expect, what it looks like, how it's going to happen. And then we zoom in with you. Uh, Of course you want to have, you know, two people there yourself and it's not as easy to do a map on yourself. So we usually ask you to have somebody else there. Um, But yeah, it definitely can be done because we're going to zoom in and watch everything and make sure it's quality. We're going to make sure you do it at the right time of the day. And yeah, people aren't having any trouble doing it. That sounds so convenient. (laughs) I know. I've tried. I mean, it's been 13 years I've been in the field and I started in in Utah and I lived in South Carolina. So I was there for five months trying to help my kid because he was about to get kicked out of the therapeutic program. And so I set up there, but then I had to come back. I still had family here. So I realized if I keep it simple and systematic, I can train someone to be my hands wherever they are. And so then we've been able to, you know, further develop it and and really can send the unit anywhere somebody needs us. Yeah. Yeah. That is, you know, like during the pandemic, a lot of things were terrible, but this more virtual remote world and everyone figuring out how to do things remotely has brought a lot of convenience to life. Um, Yeah. And, and really it did with this too, people are more receptive to let us zoom in and everything where before that it's the brain, oh, you know, they might've been even more nervous and, and wanted to come in the office or didn't want to fight those battles with their kid at home, you know, yeah. but they're just much more receptive to it now. So, and it's just better for everybody. Okay. So I'm trying to think through like all of the different types of issues that are actually responsive to it. It's like, we talked about that impulsivity with your son, you were able to, the neurofeedback was able to teach him the pause button and he can still be, I guess that's, I have so many questions with this. Okay. (laughs) So first of all, with that, like with, with like an ADHD profile and let's say it's true ADHD and they're very impulsive and inattentive Are they, at the end of the neurofeedback, are they still ADHD? Oh, that's a great question. And again, I have to say, I mean, it's not a quick fix or magic pill and everybody is going to respond and change at different rates and different times. And, you know, I mean, my kid was the poster child because it was so obvious what was messing up 
his life was that lack of impulse control. Once it was gone is when it became obvious. Before that, everybody was shaking their heads. Like, what do we do with this kid? He's got this, you know, he'd come across as a bad attitude, kind of 110% boy with a bad attitude. So um, I can't say, I don't want to give the impression that this is going to be the cure-all and everybody's going to be perfect after they have this. It's not. It's learning. It's technology-driven learning. It's going to take time. Everybody will, uh, we're going to coach the brain towards the norm and everybody will respond at a different rate too. And, and what will fall into place first, we can't always predict, you know, but the whole goal is to continue to to coach that brain towards the norm. We have seen miraculous things. And then we've seen times where it's just so super subtle and gentle over time. And maybe a year later, if we see that person again, we can see a more significant change. So it's really just different for each individual. I know that's not a good answer. Everybody wants a different answer, but <laughs> that's the way it is. It's a, it's a learning process. Yeah. So... I feel like, and so correct me if this is not accurate, it sounds like you're targeting specific issues, not the overarching diagnoses. Like you're targeting the inattention, not the ADHD. So like, like would you still... Well, I don't know. Was your child des designated as ADHD? No, no, I never had okay. him formally diagnosed because he did just come across as a 110% boy with bad attitude. And I wasn't a big fan of ADHD. I didn't really believe all of the letters and the diagnoses and all of that kind of stuff. He was so extreme though with the outbursts and the violence that I thought maybe he had Tourette's. And I took him to a pediatric neurologist who promptly put him on medications. Um, and that took away his personality. Yeah. And then, then I was kind of like heartbroken, like, okay, yes, I don't like the holes in my walls and we might be in danger, but that was just sad to see that happen to him. So I gradually weaned him off of that. And I just kept trying to find different places to put him that would work. But when I went to that, where he, his last resort was at the therapeutic program for troubled teens, basically. And I, I had an interesting experience because they were diagnosed. They had all the letters. They had the ADHD, ODD. You know, some of them had anxiety. They were all, but the common factor was they all had dysregulated brainwaves. So it didn't matter what we called it. They had dysregulated brainwaves and their brains needed to learn healthier, more regulated patterns for them to function better. And, and they all responded in some positive way. So like, I still don't, I don't treat anything. I'm not trying to fix a condition. I don't, it's okay. We all have dysregulated brains. I haven't seen a perfect brain yet, but the goal, I want to focus on that goal of just helping the brain learn healthier, more regulated patterns so that you can function better. And some of those unwanted symptoms can fall by the wayside. Yeah, I guess, I guess that's part of what I'm thinking is like, you know, there's people who are proud to be ADHD because of the benefits that they've had from that brain. So then I'm wondering, well, if, if we're moving it more towards the norm, are they losing some of their strengths or can you target just the pieces that they're wanting to target? That's such a great question. It's in our frequently asked questions in the book, in the book that just came out. 
Um, but yeah, so a lot of people worry about that. And my kid's super, super creative. Are they going to lose that creativity if you start to normalize the brain? And the answer is no. Uh, what, what often happens is they can become more of who they really are without the interference of that dysregulation that was in the way, interfering in that. You know, and again, I always go back to my son because he is, he was able to change his life in such a huge way and be who he really was underneath there without having that interference, you know, and the same will happen with the creativity. There's really great studies on um, musicians and everything actually improving their grade levels performance with neurofeedback. So we don't, we don't want anybody to lose their personality and their, you know, gifts. Yeah. And we'll never train the brain against the norm. So if you do, then you might have problems, right? <laughs> that could potentially harm someone if somebody repeatedly teaches the brain to do something unhealthy. And what does that look like? That looks like the hypervigilance that we're starting to develop from our constant uh notifications on our phones and our constant stimulation and our hectic environments. And I think that might have something to do with the level of anxiety increasing in our society because yeah. we are regularly teaching our brains to be hypervigilant. Right. Yeah. It, and yeah, you had talked about those. I've had multiple thoughts while you're talking um, that the, the peak performance athletes are using it. So obviously they're not, um, they're using it to their benefit, like to get better right. and better. I guess that's one of, so my issue, I think when I hear the word norm, I think back to like a bell curve and like the people that everybody's in the middle, most people are in the middle and, but the outliers really struggling or a level of genius. Right. And I don't want the genius to be brought to, to the norm right so I guess when you're saying bringing it back to the norm is it like that's the norm that your brain that your specific brain is designed for right healthier so we're going to look at the outliers that are creating challenges for you and try to help those areas of communication have a more balanced regulated communication so your genius can rise yeah. so like if there's a disconnect and you cannot pause before you react to your environment, you can never do what you want to do, right? But if we can correct that communication pattern, clear up those uh, neurons so they can say, hey, wait a minute, <laughs> then then you can do what you want to do, right? So we're that's it. It's just like streamlining the communication. But there's definitely some contradictory opinions as to whether we can even have a normative database for brains because we're all so different. Um, but we do know there are healthy communication patterns in the brain. And there are certain key things that we know are directly correlated with very challenging symptoms. So yeah, we don't want everybody in that same bucket, but we want to move a little bit towards that so they can function better, so they can rest better, so they can focus better, so they can process at a different level. Right. Again, I'm like, my brain is going multiple places. Okay, one thing that keeps like hitting me in the head that I feel like people want to know about is autism. Now, again, it 
the child, the adult, the whoever is still that that individual still has autism, is still autistic. If I'm if I'm understanding everything correctly, but there might be like specific things that are causing them extra difficulty that they would like help with. Right. We've seen some very interesting things in that population too. You know, I remember in it, I read about it in the book too, is one of the testimonials, this young gentleman who's, you know, could never remember names or wouldn't look you in the eye uh, and was just hyper constantly hyper vigilant, like left and right. And after several months of neurofeedback sessions, he spoke to me by name, looked me in the eye and shook my hand. And it was just like a different, a different person, you know? And so that was maybe life-changing. I don't know for that individual, but it was a big deal. And I, I heard another story from a mom whose kid was just hypersensitive to the garage door sound. Like it drove them nuts. And all of a sudden she noticed it wasn't bothering him as much. Like he wasn't freaking out when they went in and out of the garage. And one day, unexpectedly in the back seat, he opened his own water bottle and he had never been able to open his own water bottle before. Like, who knows? Like they didn't come to us and say, I really want to be able to open the water bottle better, right? <laughs> no, <laughs> but these little things as the brain is better regulated, you don't know what's going to happen or when. Yeah. You know? and, and everything's, that's, that's, everything's so interconnected. Like It really is. And yeah, actually the, the garage door one made me think, that was another thing I was thinking about, like for myself, I've noticed increasingly lately, I'm so sensitive to sounds and bright lights and like a lot of sensory stuff, um, especially noises. Yeah. Like I've always had an issue with like the sound of someone chewing, like, uh -huh. which is like, there's some name for that, but I can't remember what it is, but like, there is a name for it. I can't remember it either. But yeah, Misopho misophonia or something. Oh yeah, maybe. Yeah. But like, I feel I feel like it's gotten worse lately. Like, and any sound, I don't know. There's just like all these sounds that I'm like, oh, like I get like a visceral reaction. Like, oh, I can't be around this. Like, I need to remove myself. So like now, I feel like it's causing more problems for me. So I'm wondering, like, but right, you're saying like things like that can be addressed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and then adding stress to that doesn't help either. If yeah. there is any stressful situations, you're probably even more on edge and more sensitive. Yeah. I would imagine. Yeah, that well, that makes me think like I wonder if it's also like time of day. Like maybe I'm more sensitive at night when I'm tired than I am first thing in the morning. Cause I notice like at night I'm getting so bothered by sights and sounds. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. When we fatigue, we lose our inhibition. We lose the ability to kind of uh, filter things out and everything. So that makes sense that yeah. that could be the case for you. Yeah. Yes. And then, of course, we get hangry at certain times of the day, right? <laughs> if, we, if we're hungry and tired, nobody can handle things as well. Yes. Um, I'm trying to remember what else I wanted to ask about. Um, we're doing, okay. Um, talked a bit about, well, okay. So what about the skepticism? Like, how do you, 
how do you how do you respond to that the skepticism around neurofeedback when people are like oh it's just yeah sounds too good to be true or it's yeah. snake oil or whatever yeah. uh, definitely the research i like to point back to the research that it was founded in the research labs this wasn't something somebody invented to make a buck it literally was founded by accident in the research labs and that's where it was developed from the start until now. And we don't do anything against that. So it's, it's backed by a lot of research, although the studies are not supported by big pharma. So they're not the numbers of people in the studies as you would have with medications. You right. know? Uh, but, but, but we still have enough out there to point people to. Of course, I have a personal experience and so many client experiences that we have a lot of people that people can talk to uh, about it. Um, but you're always going to have the skeptics out there and there are providers that take different approaches and it's not unified. So, you know, you do need to interview who you're considering working with and you need to talk to them about the system they use and why they believe in it and any pros and cons in that. So I'm just very upfront about all of that with the clients that we deal with and setting the expectations that, you know, this is not a magic pill or a quick fix. It's going to take time and commitment on your part too. And so right. that's, that's how I usually handle that. Yeah. But I think like 40 sessions, it's like nothing compared to years and years of, of tutoring for things like dyslexia, but also of medication or misery for some of the more ADHD side of, or anxiety or all of some of the other stuff where people don't even know what to do other right. than medication. And I always yeah. think, like, well, if medication works, what else could work? Like there's, there's gotta be other things. Um, right, right. And so, the medication, the medication often is kind of just managing the symptoms and kind of masking them. But underneath there, we usually still see the dysregulated patterns in the brain. Right. So when you add up the cost of copays and medication management and adjusting them for even five years? What about a lifetime? I mean, this is a drop in the bucket. And, right. and I felt that way. So when people look me in the eyes and we talk about my story and if they think it's a pricing issue or a time issue, I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, we went from age five to 13. I went into so much debt trying to put them in all these different schools and environments. And like, if somebody told me it was just going to be a few thousand dollars, <laughs> I would be like, geez. Thank yeah. you. You know, cause those schools are more than that in one month. Right. And we were out of options. There was nowhere for him to go. I had to keep trying to find a different place cause he kept getting kicked out. So yeah, it really is a good option. And I just think it needs to be in our homes. It needs to be in our schools. It needs to be the first line of defense, not the end of the rope where some desperate mom has finally found us. Right. right? So I appreciate you having us on here to talk about it so that the families can think about this early on before going through all of that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, I know plenty have already spent well over that on various tutoring or medication or therapies or whatever it is that right. their, their particular child is, well, they're hoping it's helping. And um, yeah, yes. it, does, it seems like like I was saying, like with some of my students, if they could start with this and then get the tutoring to actually learn the material, now they can learn the material and it just, they would just fly through it so much faster. That's, 
that's the combination that you need. This isn't going to replace tutoring. It's not going to replace counseling. It's not going to replace all that life skills that people need to learn. But oh my gosh, how much better can people apply those and understand those things they're being taught when their brain is, is regulated? It's just, it just makes sense. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, I so often have questions pop in my head and then they go away when I'm trying to think about it. Um, oh, Just set you, you up with the neurofeedback about... system. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> I am definitely interested. Um, okay, good. <laughs> you were talking about, oh, that it was, it was found by accident. It was figured out in a research lab by accident. What is, what is the story there? What do you mean? Oh my gosh. It's so interesting. Um, see if I can do the brief version of it. So Barry Sturman was a sleep researcher back in the 60s, and he was uh, doing an experiment with cats, measuring their brainwave activity, trying to determine if they go to sleep at will or if their body imposes sleep on them. So he's looking at brainwave activity in relation to sleep, discovers a new brainwave, kind of interesting new squiggly looking brainwave they called SMR. And, and that was a new finding back then because they were just starting to discover the brainwaves. You've heard of alpha, theta, delta, those kind of, it was one of those. Um, then he decided to see if he could encourage those cats to produce more of that. And so it was kind of like an alert focus brainwave right about before the cat pounces on a mouse, that really focused wow. state. So he taught them how to produce more and more of that brainwave at will by giving them a little bit of milk and broth every time they produced a half second burst of that new brainwave. So these cats were able to show more and more and more of that brainwave activity. Then by accident, he was uh, commissioned, later on he was commissioned by NASA to figure out why the uh, people exposed to rocket fuel were developing seizures. So in come the cats. Uh, out of the group of cats, 10 of them didn't develop the seizures when they were exposed to rocket fuel. And he discovered those were the cats from the prior experiment. So they, they encouraged that brainwave enough to change the structure and the function of their brains to be resistant to a toxin. And then they were like, wow, <laughs> is this really true? These cats did not develop seizures because they increased that brainwave at will. And so the studies then went for epilepsy and beyond. So that's how it was, it was founded. Oh, no, now, now, so if those cats didn't, I'm sorry, I was just excited. I get excited. Like yeah, if no. the cats weren't well, brought over into that other experiment, we wouldn't know what we know now. Wow. But wow. Okay. So then epilepsy can be dealt with with neurofeedback. Yes. In 1978, they published an article in the Journal of Epilepsy where they reduced grand mal seizures by 80 some percent in, wow. in epileptics. It was a small scale study, but it was significant because they, yeah, after that cats, then they, then they decided to try it on rhesus monkeys and that was successful. And then they had the small scale study with epileptics. That was one of the first things that neurofeedback was used for was seizure disorders. Uh, and and people were able to change the structure and the function of their brain by repeatedly practicing a new pattern and developing a new physical neural pathway in the brain. So I'm thinking about a very specific situation that I know of. Do you have to have a certain like IQ level? Do you have to have like I know someone very severely disabled who's very epileptic? Mm -hmm. and is on medication for it but the parents keep wanting to 
move off of medication if possible. And they're talking about surgery and stuff. So I'm just wondering, like, would it work? Potentially work. I know you like can't guarantee anything. I'm just wondering, like, is there, is, is there anything in that? That's like, no, you know, right. It has to be able. Well, if it can play over any video, we'd be okay. I think in this situation, but yeah if they can watch something or listen to something, they don't have to understand what the process is. I mean, I, when I visited Spalding Rehabilitation Center up in Massachusetts, they gave me a tour and they were showing what they were doing. And he told me a story of a, you know, he got the last resort brain injury person because they couldn't tell if this person was existing anymore, had any hope whatsoever, any brainwave activity, nothing. They couldn't tell. And they tried neurofeedback and it was successful. He, that, that, person even though they didn't even know if they could detect a brainwave was able to learn to move like something across the screen at a certain way so yeah and and severe cases where the person is barely conscious there's ways to try it I mean the person does not have to understand what's happening because think about it when you wake up in the morning your eyes focus when you try to look at something or um, if you're watching a show your brain just kind of wants to see it better or if you hear a whisper outside or a sound at night, your your ear kind of tunes into that naturally. So we're just using that natural response that your body has to want to hear or see something better. And we're using that to help it learn something. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty simple, just based on learning. But it's using technology to help learn specific patterns. So I would give it a shot if I was a parent in that position. And as you said, there's no guarantees and we don't treat seizures. Uh, we just help the brain better regulate. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that the parent who I'm talking about will know that I was talking about them. <laughs> Great. And make their decision. Um, Worth looking into. But I also, I'm sure there's others who know that they don't know me and will be like, oh, thanks for asking that. Yeah. Because, yeah, there's just such a, a wide range of things that it seems like it can help help in so many ways um are there any like contra indicators like you shouldn't use it if not that i've heard of and not with our our modality if if some of the other ones yes there may be now there are extreme cases that are it, it's questionable how much it can help if you're you know in the midst of a um schizophrenia bipolar it's a little more difficult situations and as i said if you're highly medicated you know but we usually recommend that you work with your prescriber along the way to gradually titrate and reduce as you're able throughout the process because it usually enables you to do that as you create new pathways you need less medication those are a couple circumstances um uh oh my gosh i'm thinking trying to think of the name of the type of medication that is really a difficult one and it slipped my mind right now but there's one that's like if you're on it's it's pretty tricky and we have to go expect a longer time period for response time so it feels not like it's a miracle drug but it feels like it would help almost everybody and especially like so many of these severe cases why is this not 
tried first? Why is this not more prevalent? It's not new. Right. So why is it a secret? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of uh, different philosophies on it. Number one, I do think because it started in the research labs and it was harder, you know, to get a hold of the technology to find the right training. There's, you know, there's all of this different hit and miss stuff in the beginning. It was just being figured out. I think that big pharma not supporting it has kept it at bay for sure. Um, and that's really it. I guess there's some factions in the neurofeedback world, some of the founders that I feel like they kind of want to keep it a little more complicated than it needs to be in some ways. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's helping our field at all. I think we need to use the um, general safe protocols like the one I just talked to you about that Barry Sturman discovered. It's it's rare that anybody that would be bad for. Okay. So why couldn't we use that in the general population in schools and everything in a very conservative way and not put the the fancier ones that are pushing the brain harder in, in those, you know, areas. Right. So those those are a couple of reasons I think that it's been not as prevalent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and if for $3,000, six weeks, 40 sessions, you're done instead of having medication for life, but yeah, know, skeptical side of me. Right. Right. And then doctors, you know, maybe it's not really part of all of their education either. So the ones that do know about it, do they have the time to learn enough about it or experiment with it or, you know, recommend it? It's so easy to just write a script. Right. And that's where a lot of their education goes because that's, you know, yes. where the money is. So, yeah. Right. All right. So we just need to make it more prevalent on our own. That's what I think. It's got to come from the families up. We have to say, look, we want this, you yeah. know, and, and like I said, with the technology, all the things that we're doing, the, the, aura rings, measuring our sleep, measuring our, uh, doing, being able to do breathing, breath work, uh, all of that. We're kind of headed in that direction. There's no right. reason that we shouldn't have access to neurofeedback as well, where we're measuring our brainwave activity. It just needs to be done in a way that is, is safe and supervised for everyone, you know, and a gentle. Yeah. So yeah. thank you for getting the word out there. Again, this, this is what will help sharing it with the families who need it. Yeah, hopefully everyone else will think of somebody that needs it and share this episode with them and we'll spread the yes. word even more. Yes. Um, so everyone who now is desperate to find out more, is what's the best uh, way to contact you to find out more information? Yeah, they definitely go to our website. It's symmetryneuropt.com for symmetry neuropathway training. Um, there's different booking links on there, whether you're interested in actually providing this, or if you're interested in for yourself or a family member, that's a good place to start. We like to have a conversation with everyone. Uh, the other really good resource is just the book that just came out from trauma to triumph, a mom's mission with neurofeedback. This is a good resource, an easy read for stressed out families looking for help. It talks about our story and what we went through and gives you the basics of neurofeedback and why we should be using it as a first line of defense. So that's uh, an easy resource for everybody to access. That's on Amazon or probably on our website. <laughs> all right. Well, I will, that'll definitely all be in the show notes that people can check out and click links or they can listen back and 
type it in if they want to do it that way. But um, thank you so much for being on. It has been a pleasure and it has been fascinating. Thank you. All right. So thank much. you for having me.